everyone should definitely consult an attorney about their specific estate to make sure what is being put in place is what is needed for their particular situation. A word straight from the mouth of today's guest. Welcome to Planet Now, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and do more with what life presents. So, who likes to talk about death? Go ahead, put your hands up, including the people in the back, mm-hmm, unless you're driving. Yeah, I don't know many people who love to talk about the topic, especially when they are the subject. But you know what? It's a certainty. You won't have a thing to worry about after death, but what about the stuff you leave behind? That's what attorney Seren Adams specializes in, helping folks get their financial wishes in order before death ushers them to the exit, stage left. Let's start with her pathway to helping folks wrangle up their loose ends before the end. Attorney and estate planner Seren Adams, right here on Planet Now. Estate planning, I think I was, I don't know if you can be born to do something, but it definitely feels like one of those things that completely suits me. My father actually passed away when I was an infant, so I grew up in a household where we didn't have an estate plan. He didn't leave, you know, life insurance, so grew up in that atmosphere of where there's a lack of a plan in place. So I've always been a planner. I don't know if it was tied to that, but I've always been a planner. I love organizing things. So this practice area really is, it suits me perfectly because I get to organize people's lives on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, So that's essentially what estate planning really is. You kind of just get all of your affairs together, make sure that what your wishes are actually get carried out. Um, I think a lot of times people we plan for so many different things. We have car insurance, life insurance, auto, you know, home insurance. And those things may never even happen, but all of us are going to pass away. But most of us don't have an estate plan in place. So it's one of those things that if you want everything kind of put together and your affairs fully in order, you have to have an estate plan together. So let's go back. Um, you said your dad passed away when you were an infant. Is that something that um, that you felt growing up or that you heard maybe the elders in your life mention, maybe your mom, maybe some other family members mention, and that kind of stuck in the back of your mind? Because I know sometimes mm-hmm. as kids, we don't necessarily realize what we're hearing or what mm-hmm. we're experiencing until later on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we might make career decisions based on something that we heard or experienced a long time ago. Yeah, interesting question. It's not something I specifically remember hearing like a specific conversation, but I always knew I was in a single mom household. All of my friends, they had, you know, both parents still alive and in their household. And my mom, God bless her, I don't know how she did it, but we never really felt like we didn't have enough. Yet I always knew you know, we can't just have everything that we want. We can't just have anything that we want. There has to be, you know, a tight budget. There has to be parameters in place. And she worked really, really hard, worked a lot of overtime. So, you know, she was never at the games and all of those types of things where I saw all of my other friends uh, where their parents were because she had to work really hard. So it was one of those things where I always knew you have to kind of have things together and well planned out in order to be successful in life. Your mom had like parameters in place. Mm -hmm. Was she one of the models that you saw, the planning models that you Mm -hmm. saw um, growing up? Yeah, I think definitely. She, number one, she's an entrepreneur. She's always been an entrepreneur. So I think starting my own practice, I definitely got from her. And the planning part of it, for sure. You can't be a single mom with three children and not be a planner because things will fall apart. So definitely having all of that kind of structure, but not 
insane structure. It wasn't like we were overstructured in our life, but you have to have a plan kind of for everything you're going to do throughout the day and your month in order for things to work. Now, what influenced your decision to become an attorney? So I remember specifically deciding to become an attorney in high school. I had a teacher I used to ask questions all the time. I would always be at my hand up asking the question. Um, So I had one teacher in particular. I can't remember the teacher's name, which is terrible. But I remember the conversation. And she's like, you need to become an attorney. You are the one who's always answering questions. And that's going to be really useful as an attorney. I was like, okay. (laughs) I remember thinking that, okay. And so literally, that's always just been what I've decided to do since that that conversation. It's interesting that the words of a teacher mm-hmm. and the words of, of other elders can just stick and then influence our our path in life. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And, you know, I have a 14-year-old son, so I do try to speak those things into him as well. Here are the things you're good at. Here are the things you can really, you know, excel at in life because it's true. The words that people speak over you and speak about you are, they have an impact. Speaking of the power of words when it comes to estate planning, the power of those words in that plan Mm -hmm. (laughs) can Mm -hmm. affect your family even after you're gone. So, um, estate planning. Now, Mm -hmm. One of the things I read, I'm reading your book, Anyone Over 18? And I'm thinking, okay, thinking back to when I was 18, (laughs) what in the world did I have that was worth planning for? I I didn't, you know, I didn't understand. I didn't even think about it back then. I didn't start thinking about this until I turned 30. When I was telling you earlier, I officially declared myself old enough to die. So... (laughs) Why 18? Yeah, and it isn't really that 18-year-olds have that much stuff to protect. They really don't. All their stuff is their parents' stuff. It's that their person is what they're protecting. So the estate plan for an 18-year-old is really just your power of attorney and advanced health care directive. So even as we send our kids off to college, you need to have a power of attorney in place so that if, for example, opening their mail, you're legally not supposed to do without a power of attorney. But if, for example, you need to write a check on their behalf for something from their account, any of those types of financial decisions, you need a power of attorney to do legally. Also, the advanced directive, that's basically the medical power of attorney. So if something happens, they're away at school, something happens, you need to speak to the doctor about what's going on, they can't release information to you as a parent without an advanced healthcare directive, which is terrifying when you think about it. You're already sending them far away. So to not even be able to get access to information can be really devastating. So it's something that you should just have in place, have it on file at the school um, if they go away to school, and just making sure that you have access to that information and that they have their wishes carried out because part of an advanced directive is a living will which designates what your end-of-life wishes are. So God forbid something happens that, you know, leads to something like that, you want to know what their wishes are to be able to carry them out because it really is a privilege to carry out someone's wishes, their final wishes for how their last days on this earth should be. Um, You shouldn't just be guessing, and there's a lot of guilt associated with guessing. So these are things that they're certainly not easy conversations to have with your kids, but they're certainly necessary conversations because you don't want to be in the situation where you don't have these things in place and something comes up. So one of the things that you wrote about in the book, and I never, another thing I just never really thought about, if you open someone else's mail, mm-hmm. that's not legal. That's against the law. Mm-hmm. Writing checks in someone's name and you don't have their 
their permission. You get into some legal weeds if you don't have these plans in place. Talk about that. Some of the things that you've seen come up or some of the things like fraud is a word that you mentioned. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, you know, okay, having an estate plan is one thing, but fraud, (gasps) that made me gasp. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of times people will give someone else permission to do something. The issue usually comes up when that relationship changes. So even in a marriage, you're not supposed to open your spouse's mail. You're not supposed to sign on your spouse's behalf unless you have a power of attorney in place. So that person may give you permission, and then later on the relationship changes, and they're like, I never gave you permission to do that, and that's when the issue comes up. You have no legal backing for what you did, so you're, like you said, in the weeds. I think one of the things to think about when you're thinking about preparing an estate plan are the things you want to avoid. So asking your friends to do something for you, like something simple as signing a check if, you're, if you've gotten in an accident on the beltway and you've broken both of your arms. Signing a check on your behalf, even if you say go ahead and do it, again, things may change later. You're asking someone to commit bank fraud, mail fraud, forgery, all of these things that are big major issues. You don't want to be putting your family and friends in that position unnecessarily because if you just have the legal documentation in place, you're covered, they're covered to make sure that anything they're doing is legally backed. And what kind of penalties can a person incur if they do, if they have like verbal permission, but maybe not written permission, something that's solid, Mm -hmm. written that people can read and, you know, come to a a similar understanding or the same understanding. What are some things that you've seen happen? Well, I've had a situation where an elderly person um, had a caregiver who that they had given permission to to write checks in their name to pay for things. So that person actually had police show up at their home because the bank saw one of these checks and said this is not his handwriting, this doesn't match the signature we have on file, and they sent police to her home because it's bank fraud. I mean, it's theft. So all of the significant penalties that come with any kind of criminal activity can be part of what happens, and he had given permission. That situation where the police showed up resolved, but Another situation came up later with that same situation, that that same client, because he passed away. The older gentleman passed away. So then there's no one there to say, yes, I had given her permission to do this, and there are other, you know, bank accounts, other checks, and it can be a really, really difficult problem. (laughs) How do you prove someone gave you verbal permission after they've passed away and you've now written checks in their name? Wow. (laughs) Wow. So the power, the power of those words. So um, now you have uh, leaving a legacy without leaving a mess. It is about, let's see, it's about 47 pages. Mm -hmm. But the 47 pages are packed. Like I read a few pages and I say, okay, I need to just ingest this and just let it sink in and become part of my, my thinking and then pick it up and read a few more. What led you to put everything in this format? You know, it's interesting you say that because my whole goal was making this an easy-to-read, like, not intimidating book where someone just picks it up. Oh, I can finish this in the sitting. So, (laughs) yeah, each page is kind of packed with information. It's filled with all of the questions we get all the time from our clients. So 
it's always helpful to have something you can refer people to, especially even after a consultation. Sometimes you can tell someone's eyes kind of glaze over in the middle of you explaining something. So you can send that person to, you know, my book and, and just say, read this when you can just sit and absorb all of this because it is a lot of information. It is sometimes the first time we've heard any of the information. So it's good to be able to refer back to it and read it as slowly as you need to. I can't just go on the, on the internets, as some of the young people say. I just can't go on the internets and or the interwebs and just, you know, download something and print it, get it notarized and or mail it to myself with the poor man's copyright or, you know, because it has a date and a, and a seal and everything on it. I can't do that. Why, why, why can't I do that? And if not, why not? It is so dangerous to do that. <laughs> You're most of the time dealing with at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, some estates, millions of dollars, because you're talking about your house, life insurance, retirement accounts, all of these assets. And you could have dotted every I, crossed every T, and still have a gaping hole in a plan that you're dealing with legal documents. So you don't know what you don't know. Can you pause? Can you say that again? You could have (laughs) dotted every I and crossed every T but still not have it together. You can have a gaping hole in the middle of that plan and not know it. And the time you find out about that is after it's too late. You can't change anything. Your family is then coming to us as a probate case instead of an estate planning case where we're dealing with things on the front end. Instead, we're dealing with cleaning it up when you're not even here to say what you really intended. It happens all the time. The online versions of estate plans or even Staples versions They're basic documents that don't deal with your specific family situation. And most of them will say they're state-specific, but they're just plugging in Maryland, D.C. (laughs) into the document in certain places. They're not pulling actual statutory information. They don't know what the actual statute is in Maryland for certain things. They don't know how to address that in the estate plan, what specific family situation is going on that you're trying to protect against. Something even as simple as guardianship, if you're, you know, a single mom and you want to make sure a certain person's guardian, what are you actually putting in place when you're putting things in this document? Um, leaving th- things like that out of a document just because you don't know that's where it's supposed to go. So it, it's just really dangerous. I always think back to my sister who is a planner like me. So when I was in law school, my sister, she already had, let me think, yeah, she already was married, had a son. So she created an estate plan online. I was thoroughly impressed. Mind you, I'm in law school. So she brings me over to her house. I'm signing everywhere throughout this document. We, like, made it all official. I'm like, you're so cool. I can't believe you did this. So the next semester, I took estate planning in law school. Literally every single class brought up an issue with this document that we had prepared. Every wow. single class. Wow. I literally just get that thing and shred it right now. Wow. You've created so many issues. So you just, you don't know what you don't know. It's really dangerous to do that, especially when you're, what you're trying to do is protect your family. Why risk what you're trying to do by creating it and you don't know what you're doing? Sometimes the thing that comes up is cost, because when you think mm-hmm. attorneys, you think, how much per hour am I going to be paying for this? And, you know, you just might not want to shell out the cost. But you write that, you know what, paying for this mm-hmm. in the beginning is a lot less costly. And you talk about the cost of probate. Mm-hmm. You talk about um, the basically the cost of the cleanup. 
Mm-hmm. Probate is pretty expensive. In Maryland, it's capped at about 3.5% of the estate size. So say you have a $500,000 estate, um, your probate costs are going to probably be about $20,000. If you're hiring an attorney, you have a personal representative of the estate who can get commissions, all of these things work into what comes out of your estate. So you're thinking you're saving you know, lots of money by doing a you know, $500 plan online, but you're costing your estate four times, five times more than that in the end. And you don't even know if you've done it properly. So it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to do it that way when you're trying to protect your family. Um, and when we think about how we spend money on other things that are, you know, disposable items that we don't even really need, this is something that's supposed to be protecting your wishes, what you want to have going on after you can't be here to make sure it goes on. It doesn't make sense to try to bargain shop for <laughs> something like that. And so if someone were to come to uh, a law firm like yours mm-hmm. that specializes in, in estate planning, this is what you do, mm-hmm. what would – well, of course, I guess it would depend on the, co- on the size of the estate, but a $500,000 estate, which is what you mentioned uh, before, mm-hmm. what would the cost of planning beforehand be? You said it would be about, what, $20,000 for the cleanup mm-hmm. to, you know, going through probate and all that. What would it be if someone – decided to plan ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually price based on the size of the estate. It's really what we're, what type of plan we're going to do. So for a $500,000 estate, most likely that involves real estate. So if you have real estate involved or a minor child, meaning a child under 18, most likely we're going to recommend doing a revocable living trust type of estate plan. A trust plan is going to run for a single person anywhere from thirty-five to 3500 to 5000 for a joint trust for a couple, it's going to be anywhere from forty five hundred to about six thousand for for a couple to do a joint estate plan. Um, if you're doing a will plan, it depends on what type of provisions you need inside of the will. Because even a will plan, um, usually we only end up doing those nowadays for people who, for example, like an elderly person who's living with their children um, after they've like moved out of their house, sold all their stuff, they're living in their child's home, their child's furniture is in the home, they just have clothing and bank accounts that we can put beneficiary designations on. A will plan is perfectly fine for that type of estate. Um, But there can be provisions you can put in there, like a testamentary trust, if you have grandchildren that you want to inherit, because you don't want them inheriting anything at 18. So if you just have a will that just says, this person gets this, this person gets that, they get that at 18 if they're a minor. Um, So you can add in different provisions. So it depends on the type of plan. But those are the approximate ranges for the, the typical trust plan that we would prepare. Okay, and still less than the what twenty thousand dollars or so mm-hmm. that you mentioned before. Definitely, it's when you're thinking about how much is going to be coming out of your estate. Number one, in time, because probate takes a minimum for a regular estate a minimum of seven months in Maryland. Most estates, the national average is about eighteen months. Um, so most estates are right, <clears throat> excuse me, in the middle at about twelve months. So it takes a long time to administer. So that's time from your personal representative attorney's fees, and then it's also a public process. So predatory individuals can get access to an estate file. They can file claims against an estate. They know who the beneficiaries are, what their contact information is, when they're going to be receiving their inheritance, and what they're receiving. So it's all public information. The probate process is really something, if you can avoid it, you should avoid it. A trust plan does avoid it, so you know why not get those things in place to protect your family? Let's go back to your mention of 
predatory individuals. Now, for those of us who like to think that most people are good and kind mm-hmm. and will do the true and just thing, mm-hmm. you know from experience that ain't always the case. Definitely not. There are people who literally just prey on these estate files. You can find out exactly who has filed an estate each and every day. You can go to the probate office and get estate files. And usually they're preying on older widows because they're hoping that they're not financially savvy. Of course, that may not be the case at all, but their hope is that if somebody gets a claim, they're responsible adults that are used to paying their bills. They get a claim in the estate of their husband. They're going to pay that claim right away without even looking, you know, to make sure it's a valid claim. So a lot of times that will happen. They'll file, you know, invalid claims against estates just to get part of the estate money. That's wicked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Praying on right. somebody at the worst possible time of their life. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. So... Just to review again, guarantees if you do plan, guarantees if you don't plan. One of the things that you mentioned is if you don't plan, your affairs may become, I don't necessarily want to say victim, but in a way, depending on the situation, they could become victim of the loudest person in the room. Mm-hmm. The loudest, bossiest family member. Yes. Yeah, that's often the case. You don't have a plan in place. The person who wants to be in charge of everything, that may be the last person you want handling your affairs, is the one who's going to step up and be like, here's what they need. They wanted to have done. Um, and think of that happening with the guardianship of your child. That's, like, to me, the worst scenario ever, that you have a particular person in mind who you want your child to go to, and some person in your family decides, no, this is how this is supposed to go. That's usually the person that's going to go and petition the court for guardianship. And the court's looking at, you know, the information they have in front of them. They don't know what your wishes are because you haven't put anything in writing. So oftentimes that's what happens. The loudest, bossiest person in the family gets to pick what happens. And not necessarily the person who is the best suited to care for that, that individual or the assets. Exactly. Or what to me, is almost just as bad as the state gets to decide. So our legislature, in their wisdom, have developed intestacy laws, which are the laws that govern what happens with your estate if you pass away without any kind of will or trust or anything in place. So a lot of people have major assumptions about what's going to happen. Most husbands think, most husbands and wives think, if something happens to me, my spouse is going to get everything I have. And that is not the case in Maryland. What is the case in Maryland? Of course, these things are different. Mm-hmm. The intestacy laws, is that, am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're different in each state. Right. They're different in each state. Maryland's laws, say, for example, you're married and you have separate assets in your name and your parents are still alive, but you have no kids. If you pass away, your spouse is not getting everything. They actually get a spousal allowance and they get 50% of your estate. The rest of the estate is going to your parents. So hopefully you have good relationships with the in-laws because you may be sharing assets. If you are married and you have adult children, 50% of the estate going to the spouse plus the spousal allowance and 50% going to those children. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that assets are preserved, they're used for the purposes you're intending. Like if you're thinking, if something happens to me, I want to make sure my spouse gets everything so she can make sure tuition's paid, she can do all of these other things. If your child gets that lump sum, they're most likely going to Jamaica or they're buying a car. (laughs) The things you're planning are not what's going to happen. So you need to make sure those things are spelled out in a legal document. Okay. The power of words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
to me, it seems like that's a little bit, it's something difficult to to approach, even though we all know we're going to die. Every person who is living and breathing right now is going to die. Every person who is about to be born will eventually die. How do you approach that with your elders, especially when, not all of your elders, but say, what if you have parents who don't necessarily want to talk about these things? They don't tell you they don't want to talk about these things, but if you bring them up, you know, it's it's put off or it's grown folks business or whatever the case. So what if you're a person who's who's in a family that, you know, kind of puts things off? Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. What we recommend, we do estate planning seminars at least once a month. We feel like that is a really easy way for you to invite your family member to come with you. We have cookies. We have coffee. Like, come get some cookies and coffee with me. I'm going to a seminar tonight. It's a way to have people who don't necessarily want to talk about this get the information so they know why it's important to get it done. They may never need to talk to you about you know what's in their plan until you're the one who's administering their plan, but it's important that they understand why it's important. A lot of people don't know the intestacy laws we just went over. Um, they assume if they just have a will, it's not going through probate. A will goes through probate. That's one of the big myths that people are not aware of. So the seminar, I think, is a is a really easy way for people to kind of get the information in a non-intrusive way. There's no obligation. You can just sit back, have a cookie, <laughs> and hear, hear why. So I think inviting people to things like that is a way to – that's what I usually recommend because I get that question all the time from clients who are getting their estate plan done, and they're like, you know, my mother really needs to get this done, but she doesn't want to do or talk about this at all. What should I do? And that's – that's usually what I can recommend. And finding an estate planner. Um, if some of my listeners are not in the Maryland area, some I think are in California, Alabama, different states. Mm-hmm. So what's a good way to find an estate planner, a solid estate planner? Mm-hmm. I would recommend going on wealthcouncil.com. I'm a member of that organization as well as Elder Council. They're a national organization. It usually means that the person who is listed on that website is somebody who's getting very good education because they put on really good continuing legal education courses. So that's who I recommend to clients who call like from another state that we don't handle in terms of our licensing. We usually refer them to that website because I can trust that the people on that website are getting at least good education. So they should be able to be, be preparing a good estate plan. Wherever the estate plan is put into place and signed, the laws of that state will govern how the estate is administered. Is that, am I even asking the the question properly? You are, and yes and no. So every state in the U.S. has reciprocity rules. So if you prepare an estate plan that's valid in the state that you live in, it'll be valid in the state that you move to because of those reciprocity rules. What we do in our estate plans in my firm is that we also use the formalities that pretty much all of the states in the U.S. use, even though they aren't all required here in Maryland, so that if you do move, you don't have to go jump through hoops to show that you're your will, for example, or your trust or your power of attorney is actually still valid there. Um, It's going to be valid just based on how we prepare it, in addition to those reciprocity rules. I saw in an interview you did for Sisters for Fitness Mm -hmm. um, with one of my coworkers, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, 
uh, you have fun. This is fun <laughs> for you, all the different ways you can plan estates according to each family's specifics. Mm-hmm. So tell how is this fun for you? Most people run away from, I don't want to plan an estate. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to think about this. But this is fun for you. Why is this fun for you? I know. It, <laughs> it does sound a little crazy. When I say it, I'm like, this probably is something not not that everyone doesn't really think, but <laughs> yeah, um, it is fun, especially trust planning, because you can be really creative with it. You can really tailor make estate plans to that particular family. Like we had one family, my associate attorney actually did this plan and it was so beautifully crafted. The client was a single woman who had no children, wasn't married. Her parents were deceased. She had one sister. Her sister is who she wanted to leave everything to in her estate plan. They were very close. But her sister was in drug rehab at the time we were preparing this plan. So obviously, you don't want to leave someone who has a drug problem a ton of money in liquid form. They're going to use it for their bad habits. Um, So we crafted this estate plan that basically said the sister would inherit the funds in the estate, but she had to first pass three drug tests. If she passed all three drug tests, she would get... I think it was $500 was the initial amount. And then she had to pass another drug test a month later. And if she got, if she passed that drug test, it went up to 1000 And it kept going up in these stages. And if she failed a drug test, though, it went back to the $500. If she failed three drug tests, it get, the whole estate got distributed to a charity. So the things that the pers- the client was not able to do during life, which is obviously try to get her sister clean and off of drugs and have some incentive why she needed to do this, the things you can't do in life you can sometimes do through your estate plan, which of course that's tons of fun. <laughs> you get to you get to fix a situation that, you know, is really unfixable, but you just get to be really creative, which I think is the is the fun part of it, is kind of figuring out how to word things in a certain way to, to create what somebody has in mind. Um, I think a lot of times people are overwhelmed with the idea of creating a plan. How do we do this? What do we do? So usually what we do is just talk about your situation and your concerns, and we do the heavy lifting of figuring out what the legal language needs to say in order to accomplish that. So it just makes planning all of that a lot easier. You're just telling us your story, essentially, um, and who you want in charge of things. And those are usually pretty easy easy decisions for people to make. Who you want to be in charge, a backup to that person, and what your story is, what things you're concerned about with your family and you want to protect against or make sure happens. You can carry out like family legacies. A lot of families will have like a legacy of education. They want to make sure everyone goes to college or university. That's one of their family values. So you can build that into an estate plan by saying, This is going to be available for educational purposes only. We've done a couple of these plans recently, which is kind of, it's unusual how things come in in groups, but we've done a couple of them recently where people have left an estate to their family members, but anyone who's related to them by blood, and it's only accessible for education. So this trust is going to be in place for many, many years, and it can be tapped into by anyone in their bloodline for educational purposes, which is obviously just carrying out the legacy that they want to leave for their family, which is education. So all of, all of the things like that you can really get into, and making sure that the wishes of, of our clients are carried out. It is fun. <laughs> oh, the power of words, mm-hmm. the power of story, the power of legacy, mm-hmm. and how words can be used to bring that to fruition. fruition yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's 
amazing. Sometimes the things we think when we think of creativity, mm-hmm. we think of the arts. We think of I'm looking at, you know, a flower arrangement here mm-hmm. in your office. We think of things like that. I never really thought of estate planning as something that could be creative, but there's yeah. creativity in everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the weird kids who thought that handwriting was like art when I was little. I would like I would practice my signature and be like, look how pretty. <laughs> so yeah, writing things to me is is very creative and you can definitely get into doing that with estate planning. So what if you don't have a trove of dollars, jewels, land, vacation homes? What if you just don't have that much? Why plan your estate? Let's go back to that question. Okay, so one thing that people think about um, estates and estate planning is that it's it's for rich people, mm-hmm. people who have lots of money. But you say not so. Not so. It's not just for the Trumps and the Kennedys of this world. Um, and I do think when people hear about trust, living trust, irrevocable trust, whatever, they think I don't have enough in my estate to do something like that. I don't need that kind of estate plan. We do those kinds of estate plans all the time for people who don't have millions of dollars. They have a house or they have a minor child. You really have to think about the way that you can protect what you have worked hard to get. And if that's $10,000, you've worked hard for those $10,000. You don't want to make a mistake so that all of that's wasted in probate court. And I think that happens a lot, especially in, in our communities, certain communities. The people who really need to be protecting their assets the most end up wasting them in places like probate court because they just don't know what is available out there to protect things. Um, so You're saying that people who don't necessarily have a lot mm-hmm. are the ones who need to do the most protecting? Yeah, definitely. You've worked hard for that little bit. So even more so, you should be making sure that it's protected. You don't want to waste assets on attorney's fees, court costs, when those things are completely unnecessary in an estate plan at the end of the person's life. If you plan ahead of time, you can have a cost-effective thing already in place. It eliminates all of those issues, and it doesn't have to be, you know, this massive estate that has tons of money and all of these things, you're just making sure that you're putting in place things that are going to protect your family. A trust plan can even protect your beneficiaries if they have creditors. If they're going through a divorce, a tax issue, a creditor issue, it serves as an asset protection tool for them so they can actually choose to leave what they're supposed to be receiving from you in trust instead of getting the lump sum like they would have gotten from an insurance beneficiary designation or if your will just says give it to them. Um, if at the time they're supposed to receive that, they're going through something, they can choose to leave it in the trust and get monthly or annual distributions instead to protect that asset from creditors. So it, it has generational effects on wealth building and all of those types of things. So what if you are a person who, say, lives in an apartment, single, and no children, but you have all these insurance policies? Mm-hmm. Would a trust work for you or just, you know, designate your beneficiaries and just let things fall as they may if you happen to pass away? Yeah, I think life insurance especially, they usually end up being a big chunk of money. 
and especially if any of those beneficiaries are going to be minors. And this happens a lot. We'll have um, single individuals who it's almost more important for you to have an estate plan because the people who will naturally get your assets may not be the people who you want to leave it to. If you want to leave it to your godchild, your niece and nephew, um, specific people that you've built a relationship with, um, you need to make sure it's in writing so that that gets done and not what the state would do instead. Um, but yeah, even with those types of estate plans, they sometimes may be, a trust may be a good tool for it just because you want to make sure it's pro, the uh, bequest is prolonged over time. Um, a lot of people, when you're dealing with minors, we can hold it in trust for health, education, maintenance, and support. And then when that child turns 25, they can get a lump sum at that time. When they're 30, they can get another lump sum of a third, another third when they're 35. Or you can pick whatever percentages you want, whatever ages you want. Um, you can also do things like requiring that they meet with a financial advisor before getting a lump sum so they'll know what to do with the money that they get. Um, so you can just build in a lot of different protections. So it depends on who your beneficiaries are, what types of assets they are, what you want to accomplish in the plan. But yeah, a trust plan can definitely work for a situation like that. Thanks for listening to Planet Noun, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and do more with what life presents. You've been listening to Seren G. Adams, attorney at law. She specializes in helping folks get their financial houses in order. And if you ain't got a house, she'll help you get that financial apartment or room all tidied up. Whatever assets you want to protect and plan for after death, she'll help you get your final wishes all squared away. She's based in Maryland, but if you go to planetnow.com, you'll find a link to a website that'll point you to estate planners all across the United States. Also at planetnow.com, a link to Seren's book, Leaving a Legacy Instead of a Mess. Once again, that's at planetnown.com. I'm Liz Anderson, host of the Planet Noun podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on SoundCloud. And stop by Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Thanks so much for stopping by. And until next time, take care.